we would like to share with you a message that we're very excited about. It's the first time we've given this message. It's called Couple Communication. We're going to start off back in 1988. I had just returned from six months in California, and I was coming back to my home church, the church where I was baptized not long before. Well, you carry on your part. What were you doing at that point, dear? Right at that point, I was working as a midwife in the second largest city in England. I was raised as a country girl, so that was kind of a challenge for me. And friends of mine kept saying to me, you know, you want to try a different church where there's a lot more young people. And I knew they were kind of ma- wanted to match me up with somebody if they could, and I wasn't very interested. Anyhow, finally I had a weekend where there was nowhere to go, and I wasn't on duty that weekend, and my brother was away, and my parents were away, and I woke up Sabbath morning, and I thought, you know, well, there's this church in another town. I didn't have my own transport, so I had to get a bus and a train and try and find out where this church was, and finally I showed up in this church, which was where he used to attend. Well, I don't know how some of you go with the lesson, Sabbath school lesson. For me, I've gone through periods of really enjoying it and other periods of just not really understanding or getting anything out of it. Well, this particular Sabbath was in Sabbath school, and actually the teacher was a little bit antagonistic towards the lesson. So this is how he started off the lesson. I got absolutely nothing from the lesson this week, he said. This is the teacher. And me being young and probably too much like Peter said, yes, I agree. <laughs> it was useless. I don't know who, what he was writing about, what he was trying to get at. Very not respectful at all. Meanwhile, I had just come, and I'm going to share more tomorrow about my spiritually darkest time I've ever been through. I'd come from there, and I was now really with the Lord and on fire for the Lord. And I turned to this young, handsome <laughs> young man, and I said, I totally disagree. It's the best study I've ever had. (laughs) That was our first communication. (laughs) We got into an argument there and then. (laughs) In the Sabbath school, well, what did you think was good about it? Well, and she started talking about all these things that meant nothing to me. I I was a baby Christian. So our first ever communication was an argument. Now we're here, we're going to preach to you about couple communication. (laughs) Well, bear with us, because it gets worse before it gets better. (laughs) Well, after that time, we courted, well, there's a bit of a fill-in there, I have to add, but several months. (laughs) But anyway, I was, I'd accepted a call to the mission field, and that's where I was headed. And by the time I went there, we were now engaged to be married. And so our courtship continued on via letter, letter from over there in Africa, And it brings us to 1989. 1989. Hope you're not real good at math. You'll find something out about us here if you're really good at math. (laughs) We're now 24 and 25 years of age. We've been married three months. And we're in Africa, deepest, darkest Africa. (laughs) It's 10 hours on the airplane from London, and then seven hours on the vehicle, and then anything between one and a half and six hours on boat, depending on the flood levels, and then another 10 miles through sand in four-wheel drive. Then you got to our house. That's where we were. And we needed, so we were told by the other missionaries there, we needed a vehicle to 
go and get personal supplies and, and supplies for the hospital where we were working. So we set off on an 1,800-mile trip to Johannesburg, South Africa. That's quite a trip. And we, we were riding with somebody else on the way there, and we bought our vehicle. We, were very, we spent every penny we had, which wasn't much, and we bought a Mazda 323. All I right. will never forget a Mazda 323. We'll never buy one again. <laughs> you, you might get along fine, but we bought this vehicle. Now we have to drive it back from South Africa to Zambia, 1,800 miles, just her and I. Through the bush. Through the, well, first of all, we go through the desert, then through the mountains, and then through Botswana, and then over the, the border, and that's all as corrupt as anything. We were young. We didn't see there was any danger, any trouble in that whatsoever. So... As we head back, we had various problems. The first problem we had was that the car started to overheat in the desert. So we sat for a while and let it cool down. I'm not a mechanic by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> All I knew was to just let it cool down. So we let it cool down, we started. Then it seemed to be running cool for a while. Do you remember why you had that wifey, I call her? <laughs> she had this great idea that we should drive into the desert. What fun that would be in a two-wheel drive thing, loaded up to the ceiling with cans and dried stuff. I said, sweetie, that wouldn't be a good idea. I remember. <laughs> anyway, so we eventually got through the desert. It took us a long time because we had to go, stop, go, stop. The thermostat was, had gone wacky, but I didn't know that. Then we were going along the road, I remember one time, and I put my foot on the brake, and it just went straight to the floor. You know what that feels like? Just straight to the floor. Didn't slow down, just straight to the floor. We'd blown a hose. Well, in the middle of bush. We're in um, Botswana at this point, absolutely miles from anywhere. In a Japanese car in Africa. I looked underneath, and there's all this fluid pouring out of the hose, and there's this big split. I thought, oh Lord, we are in trouble. Anyway. I sat on the road for seven hours with not, not really knowing about bandits and stuff. I know now, but I didn't then. Waiting for him. You pick up the story. Well, after that, that's just a whole other story, but after that, we now got back into Zambia where we were missionaries, and we had to take our vehicle to Livingstone to get the number plates. They don't like South African plates on their vehicles in Zambia, and we needed to do something about it pretty, pretty fast so we would be kind of blending in, you know? So we're down there, and my husband got severe food poisoning. I've never, as a nurse, never seen anybody so sick in such a short space of time and lose so much weight overnight, but he did. And so it was down to me to go register this vehicle. I had no idea what I was doing, but we met an African Adventist at the gas station. And he said, oh, I know where to go, and I'll drive you there. So he's driving me through the bush, and there are these huge monkeys on the side of the road. And all of a sudden, I'd heard what I'd heard before. I thought the tire had gone out. But I began to hear metal scraping on the ground, and then I saw rolling past us into the bushes the back rear wheel. Now, I know Michelot family, you know what that's like. You know, there's no, I don't know what you call it over here. We have the AA over in England, but no, nobody you can call up and they're going to come out with a pickup or a, or a truck and haul you off. That doesn't happen. So two African guys bashed the wheel on with a rock and we carried on, and that's a whole other story, but I'm just trying to paint you the kind of picture we were in. So now the wheel bearing or something had gone, and we paid what little money we had left to fix our car. 
And now we have a few US dollars and nothing else to our name. 50 US dollars. 50 US dollars. And we needed to change that into the Zambian currency. We didn't know anything about black markets, okay? But this guy in this kind of hat, very dark looking, everything about him was very dark, (laughs) including his hat, his coat, long trench coat and everything, came past us in the street and said, what you got? And carried on as if he hadn't said a thing. And we're like, what do we do now? And then he turned around five minutes later and we're just standing there. And what do you want? And carried on walking. Well, finally, we got our money changed and we found out later you can be shot on the spot for that kind of stuff. Praise the Lord, we weren't because we knew nothing about that. But that's the kind of stress we found ourselves in. While we're driving along the road, back to, back to Lusaka, headed. which is the capital where the church headquarters were, and that, we were going to stay there the night and then drive to our mission home. And we're driving along the road. <clears throat> we'd been gone a lot longer than we should have been gone with all the mishaps we'd had. And so I'm trying to make up a little bit of time. So we're, we're, we're heading along pretty fast. You've got to know something about the roads in Zambia. They're, they're not even like the roads in Kansas. They are Not even like your dirt roads. There's big potholes. To give you an idea, in the capital, there was one pothole. There was a car parked in the bottom of it. That's how big the pothole was. He'd gone down and he couldn't get out. And as you're driving along, his roof is below, so you don't see it. And Half the people don't have lights. Anyway, that's another story, which we were trying not to get into. But we were trying to make up time in our Mazda, loaded with cans. It was way overloaded. We were right down on the bump stops. And my wife said something to me. We'd already experienced... What do they call it over here? A flat. A flat. You call it a flat, right? Yeah. Okay. We call it a puncture. That that gets you guys mixed up. I know. So we'd already had one of those on the way down to Livingstone. And you know, when you've got your trunk full to the absolute roof, I had my feet, all this journey, my feet were up on a cooler in in the footwell of the front of the car. Okay, that's just how loaded we were. We'd already have to take all that stuff out, and you're in the middle of the bush, and there's all kinds of little eyes peeping through the bushes watching what you're taking out. So I didn't really want another one of those. So I turned to my husband, and I said, Sweetie, do you think perhaps we should drive a little slower so we don't get a flat? Because every now and then, the road is perfectly smooth, and then it's bang, because you hit a pothole that you didn't see. And then you don't see one for another five miles on this stretch of road, and then bang! And so I asked it kind of hesitantly, because we were definitely under stress. And it was about to get worse. (laughs) We hit a pothole. Bang! We got a flat. Instantly that it came out of my mouth. (laughs) We didn't say a word to each other. So we pull over. We're in the middle of the bush. I can still see it as clearly as I can see you guys. And we start unloading everything out the trunk. This is going to be a 20-minute ordeal to get all the stuff out. Because at the bottom of the trunk is our spare tire. And we're not sure if that's inflated or not, because we just had it repaired. But attached to the trunk, as you bring it up, is a triangle. And the law, I mean, it's it's strange. You haven't seen a vehicle for three hours. But the law, the, the people in authority in Zambia, they use their authority. Any of you who have been to the mission field, you know that people who haven't really got any authority really like to use it. And so... The rule of the country was is you had to put this triangle out so that nobody else would bump into you. You wouldn't be a hazard. So I gave my wife the triangle, and I said, <laughs> take care of that. And I walked three feet behind the vehicle. Literally, literally, she, walked, she wasn't any further back than the Bible. 
Okay, and she puts the triangle down on the ground. And I still said nothing about the fact that we've now got this flat tire. I'm not pleased at what I next said, but what I next said is, Not there! And just bawled it out with all the pent-up anxiety that was in me. <laughs> so, so, I said not a word, and I picked it up, and I turned around, and I started walking. And I got and on I, with fixing the tyre. We weren't talking to each other at this point. And I was still walking. I wasn't sure now how far was the right place, so I just kept walking. So I'm working on the tyre, and I turn round. Oh, dear. I turn round. She's a little tiny dot <laughs> in the distance so far away that once again I let out a humongous roar. It's the best I can call it. Not that far! And she was... I don't know if she heard me. She just kept going. No, I heard you. That's you heard why me. I'm here now. <laughs> I told you it got worse before it got better. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 21. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes. Not on the bit that we've just been sharing, but from now on. <laughs> Proverbs eighteen twenty one. You all know it. Death and life are in the power, finish it, of the tongue. You know, our marriage relationship, this is called couple communication. It doesn't have to be a married couple. It can be boyfriend, girlfriend. It could even be siblings. Our relationship, its life or its death, is dependent on how we use our tongue. Is that correct? If we, my wife and I, or you, because I know you've all had situations a little bit similar to what we had. Okay, maybe it wasn't a flat tire in Africa, but <laughs> it could have been anything else. You're made of the same stuff we are. <laughs> if, if we don't learn the art of communication, then our relationships are never going to be what God intends them to be. Just the same as if we do not learn the art of communication with God. If we don't learn to have a prayer life, if we don't learn to listen to his communication to us in the word, our relationship with God isn't going to be all that God intends it to be. So who do we intend this message for? So does this mean if you're not married, then you just need to leave right now? No, that we didn't just have married couples in mind. Married couples of all ages, no matter whether you've been married one week or 50 years, we've designed this for you because it's the same kind of thing that we all deal with. We've also designed this for couples, maybe you're engaged, but you're not yet married. You know what? If you're in that position, listen up, because there's an awful lot of things you can avoid falling into that we in our ignorance and innocence did not understand. It's for single young people who one day would hope to be in a marriage situation. Even better time to learn. And it's for you children. Because as you listen, you can remind mom and dad that when you were at camp meeting, you'd heard that you know, they need to this, this, and this. You've got better memories than we do, so listen up for our sake, so, so when you get home you can remind us what it is we wanted to remember. Okay, so it's for all of us. 
And we're going to share four areas in this subject of communication. We're going to, the first area is going to be called learning the art. That's going to be area number one. The second area we're going to look at will be communication stoppers. We all know about some of those, don't we? Maybe never labeled them as such, but we've all been there. Then we're going to look at what to talk about, what to communicate about. And then lastly, number four is going to be communication under pressure. We're going to take you back, kind of, to where we started with at the beginning. I do encourage you to take notes. Okay, they're the four outlines that my wife's just given you. First one is called learning the art. In that, we've got five points in there. So I guess you could call this 1A or whatever you want to call it, 1-1. Learning the art. This isn't going to be any new light. This subject isn't going to be any new light to you. Learning the art, number one, is time. It seems like pretty much everything that we ask you to do here at Camp Meeting involves time, doesn't it? Time, 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 time to pray, time to study, time to communicate, time for this, time for everything. There's a reason for that, because so often our lives are full of things that take time, but they don't need to be in our life. We think they do. So we're trying to fill it with something better. Time. You all know John 3.16, God made time to come down here and save us. But Malachi 3.16, are you familiar with that? Malachi 3.16, they that feared the Lord, I hope that's all of us, they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. Those that feared the Lord made time to communicate. What I'm talking about here is an appointment. Make an appointment to talk with each other. Now, that's going to be individual to every marriage. It might be four times a week in the evening when the children have gone to bed, or if your children have left home, whenever it is. The important thing is that you set a time I know this is kind of like an old record that just keeps going round and round and round and round. But we all need reminding. Set a time. It might be face-to-face. It might be on the telephone. It might be pillow talk. If you've got enough energy left at the end of the day to stay awake. (laughs) Men. I know (laughs) men struggle with that more than ladies. Sometimes my wife wants to talk to me. She says, sweetie, I can't talk to you with my eyes open. With with my eyes closed, sorry, her eyes open. I says, well, my ears are open. She says, yeah, but it's just a put-off, you know, when your eyes are closed. So I kind of... Running ahead, ahead. sorry, dear. (laughs) One way that we enjoy communicating is whenever he goes to a board meeting at church, which I don't go along to, it's 45 minutes away. So as soon as he leaves, he gets on the cell phone... And we talk the entire 45 minutes it takes him to get home. And actually, it's kind of fun. The last time he did it, he said, so guess where I am now? And I kind of tried to gauge when it was he called and how long he'd been. And I guessed almost right to the point. So then, all the way along the the, the drive, I'm guessing where he is. He says, where do you think I'm going to hit the gravel? There's five miles of gravel to our house before you hit pavement. And so I said, you're going to hit it right now. He says, no, not quite. <laughs> it's just fun, you know, and we just enjoy just talking and talking away. And it's just a great situation, a great opportunity. Or maybe it's a date night you want to have. And by that, I don't necessarily mean you haul in the babysitter while you go off to have a meal out or something like that. 
you know, when your children have gone to bed. If your children are older, give them an opportunity to go to bed earlier one night a week. I'm sure they'd enjoy that as they understand that mom and dad want communication. But pick that time. Young people, okay, you will enjoy that night, won't you? You will. Promise me. Because you're going to be praying okay. for mom and dad. That's why you're going to enjoy it. But, you know, making the choice to take that time. I'm one of these people who likes to anticipate things. So rather than it being, hey, sweetie, should we have a date night tonight? I like to know a week ahead. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm banking on it. And, you know, the phone's going to be left behind and we're going to enjoy. Or something else we really like to do is what we call walkie-talkie time. And we like to go for a walk up our hill from our house and just talk, 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 talk all the way and all the way back. That's something we really enjoy as a couple. No walkie-talkies involved, you understand. <laughs> you know, we're just walking and talking. <laughs> you know, I bet you've said something like this in, the, in your marriage or in your relationship. Well, why didn't you say anything? Have you ever said that? Or why didn't you tell me? Well, you know part of the reason why they didn't say anything or they didn't tell you It's because there was never a time set where you could discuss those sort of things. Imagine what it would be like if the church decided we're going to have a year without board meetings. Be a mess, wouldn't it? Be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Probably be pretty good, actually. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) But what would it be like in a marriage if we just said we're going to go a year without any board meetings? That's what most of us do. Yeah, we get the bills paid and, you know, did you put gas in the car? But there's a whole different level. So set a time so you can talk about other things. Can I have a commitment out of you? Who's going to set a time? Oh, now, we, now the rubber's meeting the road. The second part of learning the art of communication is no dumping. Kind of went silent, didn't it? No dumping. Do you know what I mean by that? You don't? Well, listen up. I'm going to tell you. No (laughs) dumping. Oftentimes, one couple has an awful lot to say to the other. One person in a couple has a lot to say. They've got a huge burden. They just want to dump on their spouse. That's one of the biggest communication killers that we can come up with. We've all done it, though, haven't we? Those of you that look serious is because you understand. <laughs> Those of you that are smiling also, I know you've done it too. We've all done that. But it's a real turn-off to the other person, whichever way around that comes. No nagging kind of goes along with that. It's not a gripe session. Our opportunity to communicate together is not supposed to be a moaning, groaning gripe session. One of the classic, what, what brought this to my attention was this dumping, was I'd been gone for a little while, and I came back, and I understood my wife would want to speak to me. <laughs> Thank you. you know, she wanted to talk. But on this particular occasion, it was, this has gone wrong, and this has gone wrong, and this needs fixing, and, and why didn't you do that before you went? And it's like, oh, okay, okay, I surrender. You know, it was just, a, it was just like a, you know, you've seen soil or sand coming out the back of a dump truck. It's just, here it comes. And it was all landing on me, and I felt like I was kind of paralyzed, like, hello, dear. (laughs) I didn't know what to say. So I know guys do it as well. So no dumping. The first time you get opportunity, if you set a time and you get chance to finally sit down and, you know, sit outside or wherever, don't have one person just think, oh, good, I've been waiting 20 years for this, and then just (laughs) dump. No dumping needs to be shared out 
50-50. So if you've got a lot to say, chances are your other half does too. We're going to share it out. You know, on our walkie-talkie time, we do just that. We live up in the kind of the foothills of the mountains, and so the road we're on is kind of all on an uphill level from our house. And so all the way up to our turnaround point, my husband talks, okay? Mainly because I'd be too out of breath if I was trying to talk on the way up. So he gets the upward, and then... We have a kiss at the top. Sometimes I feel like I need resuscitating if he goes that fast. <laughs> and then on the way back down, I get a chance to talk. It's a little easier on the breathing. I say it's the altitude that's the problem, but we're only 4,000 feet up, so I don't know why that would be. But giving it 50-50, however it works for you, that works really great for us. It just, just gels for our personality. Number three in learning the art. The third point in learning the art is learn to listen. I'm sure you know the verse in James 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. It really means what it says. No matter how many times you read or hear that, it can mean something deeper. I think it's natural to humanity that in communication... We tend to think if we can just say it clearer, if we can just say it a different way, then eventually the person will understand. And we say it and it's, you know, oh, they didn't get it. So we try it another way and and just not getting it. And we try and we try. And sometimes we get frustrated with each other. And we are coming to learn. We're by no means the expert on this, I can assure you. But we're coming to learn that oftentimes it's not the person who's speaking that is having the trouble communicating. It's the person listening. Are we really trying? I mean, when we're speaking, yes, we're really trying to express ourselves. But do we give that same kind of attention when we're in the listening mode? Are you really? What is she trying to say? Are you you listening, men? (laughs) What is she really trying to say? And when when she says something that gets you all stirred up, don't jump on the the red herring. You know, I know we'll deal with that another time, but just try and listen to what she's trying to say. Don't interrupt. Let her or him finish out what they're trying to say. Sometimes... My wife has been explaining something to me, and I think, I, I have no idea what she's trying to tell me. <laughs> and I'm trying to listen, and I'm trying, and I feel like I just want to interrupt and say, sweetie, it's just, but then just as, the, as, just as she's kind of closing up, it's like the penny drops. I think, thank you, Lord. Teach me not to interrupt. So let the person develop their thought. That's good in the family, family communication. If the young person's got something, let them develop their thought. And maybe... If you're anything like I am, if you're talking about something this kind of highly charged, and in my efforts to communicate it, it doesn't seem to be getting across, or maybe he's coming back with something now, and it's kind of starts getting all fuzzy in there. Maybe you're not like that, but I kind of go blank. You know, it's like, what was I even trying to say anyway? Um, I don't think I know anymore. Well, if you know your other half has that problem, sympathize with their struggle to express and try and help them by... Not just kind of, oh boy, you know. (laughs) He doesn't do that, by the way. But I know how that... (laughs) Anymore. (laughs) Okay, thank you. (laughs) But I know how that is. And it is a real... It's a killer when you're trying to get out your innermost thoughts and it just doesn't seem to be... You want to know the other person's kind of with you in there. Listen also to what they aren't saying. Sometimes 
It's too hard to even say it. And so you kind of skirt around because you don't quite know how to put it into words. Listen out for what it is they don't say. Number four on learning the art is working through disagreements. Any kind of communication, you're going to end up with disagreements. (laughs) No matter how long you've been married or known each other, Isaiah says it this way, come now, let us reason together. That's God's invitation to us, but that is our invitation to each other. You know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know when you get into communication, whether there is one person who dominates. Sometimes it can be the man, sometimes it can be the lady. One person who can express it better, one person who's just a little bit more impatient, so they they kind of take charge of the situation. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be one person dominating. So if you find yourself being somebody who just wants to, to dominate and do most of the talking, and if they see it my way, that will be this thing solved, that's a call to your heart. Don't try to be the one that dominates. Also, we've had this, that one person will back down on the outside, okay, that's fine, whatever you want. <laughs> you know, the very tone is a, a, an, it betrays it. Yeah, whatever you say, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll just let it go, but I'm really mad on the inside. <laughs> so when we back down on the outside, but it's still a raging on the inside, we've not solved it, we've just shelved it, and it's going to come back again. We've been learning that through disagreements to let principle be the deciding factor. Now, we all agree with that, don't we? We all say, oh, yeah, that's, that's what we need to do. Well, you know, we've bumped into something interesting is that sometimes we don't always see eye to eye on what principle is. Something that I may consider principle may not be something that he has ever considered principle. Now, when you go home and experiment with this, you're going to bump into that. That's why we share this. Because for sure you will. For sure you will. <laughs> you know, so yeah, we all agree on principle, but you've got to find out what that is in a given situation. And the Bible doesn't outline every single circumstance that we're ever going to encounter in life because the Lord wants us to go to him. And that's what we have determined to do. And that's what we've found works is when we go to the Lord, helping us to establish even what principle is. You know, we have the opportunity on a future trip, we're, we're flying back from meetings, we've already booked our tickets, and we're going to have a five-hour layover in Minneapolis. You know, going into Kalispell, which is where we live, there's a flight that lands there at midday, and there's a flight that lands there at midnight, and there's nothing in between. So if your incoming flight into Minneapolis just kind of misses the midday flight, then you're stuck for a while. And we knew this was going to happen on this particular occasion, so we got talking, what are we going to do for five hours? So I had this great idea, at least I thought it was a great idea, that we would go to the Mall of America. You get a free shuttle. We've been there before, just around the stores and things, and Dolores took us there one time. And, and then I, I came up with another great idea. I wasn't raised a Christian, remember? I said, wouldn't it be fun to take the children on the bumper cars? Oh, you think that's a good idea? Or just on some of those little innocent little uh, merry-go-round type things. Well, I expressed this idea to my wife, who was absolutely horrified. <laughs> she said, we wouldn't take our children there. Well, why not? 
and because to me, growing up in the world, that kind of stuff was just, I did it all the time. My wife was brought up in a very quiet village in a conservative Christian family, and that was considered the world, sin, avoid, all those kind of things. Amen. <laughs> so now you're, in our, now you're in our communication, right? This was a Sunday morning. <laughs> just a few weeks ago. <laughs> and so my wife says, well... What's the principles involved? I says, well, there aren't any. I didn't. I said, it's, <laughs> it's, it's principle, sweetie. Yeah, I said, you said it's principle. And I says, well, what principle? And then she came out with a whole load of them. You know, the more quiet and simple the life, the more free from artificial excitement <laughs> and, and all of this. And I thought, oh, I never really thought about it like that. And then she says, you know, whatsoever things are pure, honest, lovely, praiseworthy. Good report. Good report. No. Yeah, it's getting a bit shaky here. And then she, is that the seeds we really want to plant in the minds of our children? And, and then, you know, who invented such a place anyway? And she just kept going and going and going. I thought, well, I guess that wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, that's where the real battle is. At that point, I could have dug in my heels and said, I don't see anything wrong with it. And that's where it starts to break down. Praise God, on this occasion... I really didn't have a lot of choice. I mean, I'd been Bible-bashed almost, for want of a better expression. She just, a whole dumping of principle. I had nothing to say except for... Did I dump? Did I dump on you? Dump principle on me. Perhaps you did, yeah. May- <laughs> Maybe it was the Lord that kind of... I wish I could turn this off. I could talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they want to hear. <laughs> anyway, praise God, the problem was solved. We're not going. <laughs> One thing that we have found is if there is no agreement, don't move forward. In whatever your situation happens to be, whether you have to cancel an appointment, cancel a trip, whatever it is, don't move forward until you are together in it. Because if you're not together, your children will quickly discern that if you have children in your home. And they will, they will tend to go more with the one who's making the choice they enjoy. So if it had been this situation, I would have been the baddie, and Daddy and the children would have been having a great time. So we weren't going to move forward till we were together on it. And then they understood that. And there's been no problem with them about it. Also, we need to allow individuality. You know, my husband, whenever we're going to make a decision, we were going to buy a car a few years ago, and he needs to go home and sleep on it. Now, the children kind of think that's funny. Daddy's going to sleep on it. What does that mean? Well, that means he's going to pray about it. He wants a night to pass where he can make, before he makes that final decision. I'm a different personality. If I see something and it's like this is the right way to go, I want to do it. But I've learned partly that's because I like just black and white situations. Either we are or we aren't. He loves being in the middle, not really knowing. He, if he's going to buy anything, do anything, he loves the gray. Whereas it's painful to me to be in the grey. I don't want to be. I don't want to have buyer's remorse. That's, <laughs> that's a dreaded disease for me. I have to avoid. I have to know it's going to be right. So for me, I'm having to learn that it's okay to be in the grey. Amen. Because I can trust in the Lord, and I know one eventually. <laughs> eventually, it's going to turn black or white, one way or the other. And I don't really care which way it turns. By the way, I just want to know either way. But that's the difference of our personalities, and that can become this. Or it can become this, depending on what we do with that. And that's very critical, what we do with that. 
I, Learn, do, I do try to be sensitive to you do. make a decision quicker, not just wallow in you the grey You do. He doesn't stretch it out as long <laughs> as he would if I weren't in the picture. Learning the art number five, the fifth point, is the sacred circle. Adventist Home, page 177, says this about the sacred circle. It says, There is a sacred circle around every family which should be preserved. No other one has any right in that sacred circle. The husband and wife should be all to each other. The wife should have no secrets to keep from her husband and let others know. And the husband should have no secrets to keep from his wife to relate to others. The heart of his wife should be the grave for the faults of the husband. And the heart of the husband, the grave for the faults of his wife. Solemn thought, isn't it? But how many of us have found ourselves going out of that sacred circle? You know, that sacred circle is where we are to be the best friends to one another. Not that I have a best friend I can run to and I can tell all about this problem I've got here. No, that is not what we're talking about. The sacred circle that the Lord himself designed was that it should be like this and that we should share with each other and not with another. Do you catch that? We need to keep it that way. And if it isn't that way, after this meeting, get on your knees together and put it right before the Lord and move on. Don't wait till you get home. There might be somebody here you're tempted to break the sacred circle with. Put it right and move forward and you'll find the blessing that comes from keeping that trust between you. As, as Thomas sometimes said, my brother Tom Waters, Sometimes you have to venture outside of that sacred circle. If it's about to disintegrate from within, go seek counsel. Yeah. Don't, don't be under the false impression that I can't break the sacred circle, so I just have to wait here till it just crumbles away. If you need help, then get it. Yeah, if it's going to be broken, counseling does not break the sacred circle in the right situation. <clears throat> Another area for the sacred circle, what if you're a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship? Does that mean then it's just the two of you, right? Mm-hmm. No, it certainly doesn't. And those of you that were here on Wednesday would, would remember, as Tom and Elaine shared, you know, it needs to be the parents of those individual young people and the young people themselves. So it's a six-way circle. That's how it needs to be. That's how the Lord would or, have it or be. Or however many parents Yeah, that, Exactly. Point number two. Now we're going to move on to communication stoppers. We've completed that learning the art section. Again, we could make a whole series out of this. We're trying to put it all into one message. Maybe that's a bit ambitious. But um, point number two, communication stoppers. The biggest communication stopper is that we never take the time to get started. Stops it dead because it never got started. So again, time is important. You know, the press and stress of life, isn't that just reality here in North America? It's no different in England or Europe. Maybe if you went to the bush. Mind you, we told you about the bush and there was nobody there except us two and it was still very stressful. (laughs) So you can't even go there either. It's going to be with you. We have to learn to communicate in those situations. Other communication stoppers. Another communication stopper can be children. Listen up, children. Did you know you can be a communication stopper? 
And here's how. You know, for eight years we were married before our children came along. And there was nothing that really stopped us communicating. And we did it all the time, talking constantly about every situation we encountered in our eight years of married life. And then our children came along. And firstly, there was more time now involved in another little life that was between us, part of us. But then as those little ones got older, you know, you'd start to spell out certain words. Well, now we can't spell out anymore because they can spell better than we can. So that's, that's a no-goer anymore. Now we have to make effort to make the time to communicate. Didn't used to be that way. But now we have to make a choice to do that. Otherwise, we're going to go downhill because we don't any longer have that communication. Another communication stopper can be long-term company. That's what I would call it. Not the weekend, you know, company that comes by. That doesn't really kind of upset the communication opportunities that you have. But what if you have a live-in parent? Maybe some of you are in that situation. Or for us, when our parents visit from the UK, they come usually for a month at a time, and they all come together. So you can imagine there's more we need to communicate about. Do we do this or do we do that? Should we go here? You know, the children are now doing this to grandma and grandpa. Is that okay? What do you think? We need time to communicate. And the first time they came, we didn't really give ourselves time for that. And by the end of four weeks, we were stressed. She was mad at me. <laughs> no, wait a minute. <laughs> we were stressed because we weren't having an opportunity to really say, okay, you know, everybody's suggesting this, but this is really the way we need to go. Because it had been taken care of in communication. Now we couldn't have communication because there were so many other things going on and we didn't realize what was going on until all these things weren't getting resolved. So that can be a communication stopper. It can, and I've spoken with people who have the very type of situation in their homes on a long-term basis, and you must find a way for you to have that communication that you need. It's vitally important. Some of these other ones are a little more obvious. The television, even videos, um, the internet, personal stereos, all those things often, well, not often, but sometimes can take the place of communication. They can be communication stoppers. People say, oh, we haven't got time. We've got time to do a lot of other things. So that's, not, that's a smokescreen. Really, we might believe it with all our hearts, but it's a smokescreen that the devil has sold us. That is not the really real reason. Another communication stopper can be church or ministry. Can you believe that? Some people can get so busy in their local church, and don't misunderstand me on that. I'm not asking you all to boycott your local church. If, if we boycott the local church, the church will crumble. We need to support it. But don't put all your efforts into the local church and let your spouse or that with the most close relationship crumble for lack of time with communication. Ministry responsibilities, you know, sometimes that can absorb every moment that my wife and I have. And we don't get a chance to talk about normal husband-wife type stuff. So they can be communication stoppers also. I remember one time... My wife and I were in quite a heated conversation. Do you imagine that we ever have those? I can't imagine any of you having anything like that, but I'm sure you all do. <laughs> and we're in, they're in this, it was another particularly stressful situation. <clears throat> I'd been offered a job in America. This is way back, long before we lived here. 94. 94. 
That was 12 years ago. And I was all for it. I thought it was a great opportunity. Well, I was talking about it with my dear wife, who didn't have any children at that point, and she was dead set against it. Just, why would I want to go and live there, she said. I still remember, you remember that? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You must sympathize. My father died three weeks before. That, That was my insensitivity. So she's in an unstable situation there. Well, not unstable, but, you know, just a... It's a trying time when her father had passed away. I'd been offered this job, and we're talking about it, and then what I want to call an exaggerated response. Have you ever had this in um, your communication? One person gives an exaggerated response. My wife says, well, you'll just have to go on your own. Is that really the solution? (laughs) Me go and live in America, Carolyn stay in England? No, that's not real. I was talking to some young people just a, oh, just a month or so ago, and they enlightened me how this starts very early on. This, these particular young people, they were telling us that they used to, when they were little, they're, they're bigger now, but when they were little, they used to walk along the certain wall in the house like this. And if the sibling was coming the other way, it's like, no, they didn't, neither wanted to move out of the way. You know, they're in their awkward mode. And so the one sort of pushes the other and they don't move and so they push them a bit more and then they exaggerate it and they spill across the room and they bang into the wall oh mom mom exaggeration an exaggerated response that's how it starts and when you get into the marriage relationship you know it's well you go and live in America then that will solve it (laughs) it doesn't it happens more we try to think this has happened a lot for us But when we sat down to write this message, we couldn't think of any examples apart from one back in 94. So maybe it doesn't happen as much as we think. But beware of those exaggerated responses. It just kind of cuts it, really. What can you do? Body language can be a a big communication stopper. So as my husband said, if we're having pillow talk and he's got his eyes closed, I find I just can't communicate. Oh, sure, I can say, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to do laundry and go to town, but that's about as deep as I can go with closed eyelids. Or maybe I walk into the office and I've got something really urgent on my heart I want to share, and I'm talking to the back of his head, and he says, go on, I'm listening, and I'm talking to the back of his head because he's on the computer. For me, it just that is just a communication stop where it's like, I'm going to town, dear, that's all I want to say. Forget the rest, I'll wait until I can see him, (laughs) and then I'll be able to talk. Now, men, can any of you relate to that? Okay, it only dawned on me very recently, Emily Waters and I, we work in the same office together for, you know, two or three days a week, and we talk a lot. She's got her back to me, and I've got my back to her. She's typing emails and doing websites, whatever she's doing on her computer, and I'm doing whatever I'm doing on my computer, making DVDs or whatever, and we can talk to each other, you know, backwards and forwards, no eye contact. But when my, when my wife wants to talk to me, I can't still be on the computer. She wants eye contact. And I thought, well, why is this? And I realized what Emily and I are talking about is just kind of, you know, it's about this deep, really. You know. But when Carolyn wants to speak, it's going a whole lot deeper. So I don't know if that's any light to you men, that you, can, you don't have to have eye contact at work, but all of a sudden when you get home, she needs it. It's because it's a completely different kind of communication. So just bear in mind, just because it works at work doesn't mean it have to work at home and the other way around. 
Other communication stoppers can be a bad experience in the past. If you've had a bad experience in trying to communicate your heart to somebody, it can be a stopper now as you think you're going to go down the same thing. Or maybe interruptions. That's another big communication stopper. When we're having heart-to-heart communication, if you call up, we're not going to answer, okay? We have learned that is the only way. Otherwise, suddenly, and I don't mean this in any way personally, but suddenly you become more important than what we're trying to communicate about one to another, heart to heart. So now we try to choose times when you're not going to call, okay? But just in case you were to, you'll understand what's happening if we don't answer. Communication stoppers, in summary, there is really all comes under the category of an unsurrendered heart. But we've talked about body language, we've talked about, you know, interruptions and exaggerations, all of those things are communication stoppers. Number three, we're going to move on to a different section. Number three, what to talk about. Spiritual things is what we want to talk about. And we've got to talk about the other stuff as well, but Carolyn and I have found our greatest depth of communication has been based around devotional time together. Any of you husband and wives have devotional time together, morning time together? Reading scriptures together, or we have enjoyed reading the Desire of Ages together. Or Steps to Christ together. It, it's, it's, a, it's a basis for much more depth in the conversation. We find out more about each other's spiritual life when we do that things in any other way. Mm-hmm. So I encourage you, what to talk about? Talk about spiritual things. Have your devotional times together. Maybe not every day, maybe just Tuesday and Wednesday or whatever. But you, you set the time. How are you going to raise the children the Lord has given you? It's a very good topic of communication. It's a need to. It doesn't want to always be on the children for you mothers. That can often be what it is. It's always got to talk about something to do with the children. It needs to be more than that, but it certainly needs to be that as well. Also, talk about together temptations. We all mm-hmm. have temptations, don't we? Are you sharing men with your wives? What are some of your temptations? Or are you keeping it secret? Share your temptations. They can pray for you. They can help you. They can sympathize with you. And the same ladies, are you dealing with temptation and you just you would be horrified if your husband knew? Oh, be vulnerable with each other. Amen. That's, what the, that's where the, the marriage starts to get, when you get onto new ground, that's when you start to experience new love and new excitement in your marriage, when you enter onto those places you've never been before. Another thing to talk about together is planning together. Some of you might have heard this on that series, The Quarter Hour of Power. That was just me on my own. But some of the things that Karen and I like to talk about is planning together. You know, just the short-term stuff. What you're doing today, where you're going, you know, what's on your plate, what's on your list. That kind of stuff is just short-term, fairly shallow communication. Then we like to talk about what I call, and these are just terms, you know, we don't use these terms. Let's have a midterm conversation, dear. We don't do that kind of stuff. But, you know, we'll talk about, so, you know, are we going to have a vacation this year? If so, where are we going to go and where's the money going to come from? You know, let's (laughs) talk about who's going to save what and, you know, where the money can come from. (laughs) You know, we were planning a trip to, um, we were going to do meetings in England and, Everything was all paid for with some of our air miles and the people who were inviting us. So it wasn't going to, we found out it wasn't going to cost us a penny more to land in Ireland and spend a few days there and then carry on to England. Well, we could go for a quick trip round memory lane 
And so we had, where are we going to go? Who are we going to see? All those kind of things. That's just positive, uplifting communication. And then there's the long term. I remember one time Carol and I were in, the, in our garden. We never went to America that, when that job was offered, and I didn't go on my own. We just, <laughs> we didn't go anywhere, did we, dear? No. No. <laughs> what did you say it like that for? <laughs> just, no, we didn't. <laughs> anyway, a few years later, we're in a uh, vegetable garden in Ireland, and we're digging up potatoes, and yeah, we're just talking. I said to Carol, and so... I really don't think that we're going to live in Ireland all our life. That's all I said. I was just sharing my long-term vision for, for our family. We had little children at this point, or at least one. And she kind of looked at me with this really puzzled, emotional face. It was, if I could have read it, it would have said something. And It did. It did. <laughs> and then she walked off. <laughs> Obviously struggling with something. I thought, wow, what was... What was the problem? Anyway, as we got to talk about it on a deeper level, she believed that Ireland was her dream home. She was going to live and die there. And here's me sharing that you know, she traveled a lot as a nurse and you know, lived in so many different places. And now we were settled in Ireland. She just wanted to stay there. And here's me breaking all that security and saying, I don't think we're going to be here. It's good to talk about those sort of things. Where are we going? You know? I got over it, as you can see. I'm not, I'm not here squirming because I'm now in America. I love it. It made me feel better if you would tell everybody that I like living in America. I like living... I love living in America. Oh, good. That's okay. even better. Yeah. <laughs> this is home now. <laughs> you know, in our what to talk about, focus on the good. Sure, we have negative things to communicate sometimes, but if it's always that, it'll be a turn-off in your hearts one to another. Focus on the good. Think about, you know, what brought you together. How the Lord orchestrated that whole thing. Why it is that you two ended up in matrimony together. Go back and relive those things. Pull out the photo albums, the wedding album, the pictures of the children when they were babies, and go back and look at those positive things that bound you together then because they're going to continue to bind you together now. We'd like to look quickly at communication under pressure. We started at communicating under pressure, and we're going to end up with that. We've looked at many aspects of communication, but you know, under trial, under pressure is when it really shows itself. Really, our communication is put to the test just then. And if we've been having good communication and we bump up into a, a, you know, a big trial, we're going to go through that together, working it through together. But if we find ourselves having not had good communication, just like obviously was our experience back there in Africa, and then we meet a trial, rather than dealing with it together, who are we fighting? Each other. Each other, right? That's just what happens. We all know. We've all been there. We all get at it with each other. So we just wanted to encourage you to get that good communication when you are out of a stress situation so that when you come into it, you'll go through that together. It was about 16 years after our uh, communication we had in the Zambian bush there that we started off with, me yelling all my frustrations out at my wife. <laughs> and me walking off into the bushes. And we found ourselves in a, another slightly stressful situation. Not as stressful as Africa, I must admit. But praise the Lord, God has given me the victory over the dentist. I know we've got one here. 
But I have the victory over the dentist. He doesn't scare me anymore. He does me, though. He does my wife. And we're on our way for my wife's first dental appointment in... Too many years. Too Shush, many years. don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was quite in its teens, but it was getting right up there anyway. And so she, we, she was pretty stressed. You know, and we're driving along on our way to where the dentist is, which is about an hour from our home. And we're driving along the road, and for no apparent reason, we got a flat tire. And so we, we were in conversation at the time. We were talking. So we got out of the vehicle and, you we know... just carried on our conversation. Carried on our conversation. We didn't have no triangle to deal with this time. <laughs> I think we would have done better. <laughs> sure, we would have done. <laughs> and so we're, you know, we're changing the tire. We're talking, we're talking, and we get the tire back on. And, you know, we had to find our way to the gas station to now tell the dentist that we were going to be late. And we're talking, carrying on talking. We're, we're off on our way again. And then it dawned on us... We've been here before. We've been here before. And we before. laughed about the fact that we praised the Lord. We didn't do what we did previously. And it was just a fun, a fun time, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it wasn't what it was. So we took great encouragement from that. that it's taken 18 years, but... <laughs> <laughs> and there's still a ways to go, I can tell you that much. <laughs> Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage every one of you to make an appointment with each other. Children, you can encourage mom and dad to do this. Mom and dad, did you make that appointment that Mr. Rain spoke about? You know, do it respectfully, children. Okay. I want you to make an appointment, mom and dad, to go over your notes of this message together. If you didn't take notes, then come to the tape table. We'll sell you the DVDs or the CDs or whatever you want. And then you can watch it together and then put it into practice. And we believe if you do, that your couple communication will become deeper and more fulfilling. Can I invite you to kneel with us in prayer? Father in heaven, how we love to communicate with you. That's just what we're doing now. And when we read your word, it's the same, you communicating with us. But Father, if we only communicate with you, and we never communicate with our spouse or a person that is close to us, surely we will not receive all the blessing. So I pray for Carolyn and I and for each couple here that we will commit again to make time for communication to communicate about the deeper things, to take the time that we might venture into those new areas in our marriage, that we might be happier, more content, more in union with you and with each other. And Father, we thank you for the blessed promise that that which you've begun, you will continue and that your grace is sufficient. And Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.